Hello, and welcome to Say Podcast and Die. It is a queer pop culture podcast about goosebumps and horror. That's right, and we are back in our old new space, the baby's room, which she is graciously sharing with us uh, while she's napping in the other room. That's right. I feel like... You know, we got her a rug. She has these plushies. I feel like part of why we're getting her stuff is to improve the sound quality in here. <laughs> A-plus oh, parenting. Who are we? I don't know. <laughs> anymore. I'm Andy. I'm Alyssa. And today we are giving ourselves goosebumps yet again before... That's right. Yeah. Before returning to the world of Series 2000 next week. Yeah, that's right. So today we are giving ourselves goosebumps with number eight, The Curse of the Creepin' Coffin. Yeah. I imagine this is some kind of animatronic coffin, which we've had a lot of animatronics in this verse. Well, let's take a look at the cover and see if we can tell. Uh, It looks like there's a skeleton coming out of a coffin, but it's like a really strong skeleton that's scraping through the stone of the coffin lid with its bones. Oh, and you see uh, it has one of those flying skulls. Yeah, the classic New England death's head. On on the the gravestone. Yeah, that's uh, accurate. Historical accuracy. That's what we value in a Goosebumps cover. I love the skies, this kind of pinkish red. I know that Tim Jacobus didn't do these covers, but this one I think is Tim Jacobus quality. Yeah, it's it's an homage, I'd say. Yeah. I wonder if there's a little hidden skull in each one. Because last week's episode we missed a little hidden skull in the wood pattern on the floor, which a women enthusiast, one of our Goosepunk listeners, pointed out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Maybe whoever this artist is has a signature. Mm. Ooh, before we get started, I just remembered I had a piece of Goosebumps news. Tell me. So Goosepunk Michelle, who is at Michelle's Melancholia on Instagram, recently got a PhD in neuroscience and successfully yeah, defended her thesis, which is really cool. Um, And I decided to ask her a little bit about goose science, which turned out to be on point with what she's up to because she's planning a series where she's going to give scientific explanations to things that happen in Goosebumps. Oh. So, yeah, we'll share that with you when she starts doing it. But in the meantime, there's a teaser. So I asked her um, how, as a neuroscientist who studies um, brain control and movement of the limbs, how is the piano working and piano lessons can be murder with, you know, the disembodied hands. And she said... I think the hands are some sort of advanced brain-machine interface, but the other way around. The hands are real, and the nerves in the hand activate the muscles to play the piano. However, I imagine the nerves receive the right pattern of electrical activity from a computer, so it will be free from human error. There's probably some kind of chip implanted in the hand so it can be done remotely. However, Mr. Toggle is definitely obsessed with the aesthetics, because I don't think robotic hands would be hard to build. I just Mm. think he likes the real thing. I'm not sure how he keeps them from decomposing. That is, as soon as she brought that up, I was like, oh yeah, they're probably getting gross. It's probably why he needs so many new children all the time. I mean, I think that it's just a long game where Arlstein's setting himself up for a, what are you doing in the grave, Mozart, I'm decomposing, erasing his music. (laughs) Playing the long game. Either he has a very advanced system to refuse them with oxygenated solution, or they get replaced quickly. I think they're getting replaced quickly. I think it's that one, the cheap one. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's really interesting. So what I'm getting from that is that, so first of all, it's a reversed interface where the body is sending the signals that the the computer can then interpret, which seems almost like mind reading, but like mini version. It's also interesting to think about the idea, the the role that aesthetics plays in science slash engineering, because, yeah, he could do this other thing that would be more efficient in the long run. But because he wants the sort of, like, analog, the sort of, like, human thing, mm-hmm. he's got to work all of these other things, i.e. murder, around <laughs> doing this. 
Um, so that's really fascinating. I'm curious about what other sort of scientific things slash engineering, engineering innovation is probably different, but scientific, I don't know, innovations have, have been affected by aesthetics in that way. Yeah. I mean, no, I think engineering probably is the same too. I bet there was a lot of, say, um, attempts at flight that failed because, you know, maybe we were trying to copy something that looked cool that we knew flew already as opposed to something that efficiently flies, right? There's also, there's a really good 99% invisible about the sort of reverse effect, which is um, what, how science, or not science, but how design draws on science fiction. Uh-huh. So they talk about when, I think it was Motorola was trying to build the first phone, people were having trouble with it and they um, brought it to a firm. They're like, oh, it opens the wrong way. And like, huh. How could it possibly open the wrong way? It doesn't exist yet. And they're like, watch Star Trek. People are oh conditioned to it because they've seen how it works on Star Trek. That actually really speaks true to me because I remember when I was in the um, the science fiction museum, it's been, it's I think it's called the Pop Culture Museum now, but it's in Seattle. At the time it was the Science Fiction, fiction Museum. And I walked through this part that was designed to look like the inside of a spaceship, like Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever, and it was familiar to me. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is what that space feels like. But yeah. obviously, haven't been in one, just watched a lot of Star Wars. Yeah. So everyone should check out that podcast, and we are so excited for Michelle's series. Yeah, totally. So before we dive in, I have a theory, mm-hmm. which is that the coffins don't actually creep. They just wanted alliteration. I bet there's not even a curse. How little faith you have. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think that the I title do. was precisely chosen to match the structure and content of this book in a way that is completely artistically accurate to the meaning of each word chosen. And definitely didn't precede the entire plot. Correct. Right. Yes. <laughs> As All we right. know, always happens. <laughs> I'm bored, you moan. I'm so bored I could eat flies just to see how they taste. No. <laughs> so as a side note... Goosepunks, if you're not familiar with the Lifetime movie Liz and Dick, starring <laughs> Lindsay Lohan, um, there's a very famous scene from it of Lindsay Lohan just shouting, like, I'm bored, uh, which everybody picked up on because the movie was super boring, and they're like, me too. Um, so my headcanon for this is that the you here is Lindsay Lohan in an Elizabeth Taylor wig. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should be so lucky mm. to be that. Blies have germs, your grandmother replies. Oh, a grandmother. We haven't had grandmother in these books in a while. It's a hot, sticky day in the middle of July. Yeah, pretty much. Except August. You plop down into a creaky old chair in your grandmother's kitchen. Your parents dropped you off yesterday before they left for vacation. And already you could die of boredom. Goose parents are always going off and having so much fun and, like, leaving their kids to rot. I also feel like it's really insensitive to talk about dying in front of your grandmother, but okay. (laughs) Your grandmother's old dog, Sparkle, yawns loudly. He crawls under the table. Moments later, he begins to snore. I know how you feel, Sparkle, you say. You sigh loudly. Why don't you go outside and find something to do, your grandmother suggests. She looks up from the pie she's baking and nods towards the backyard. She's baking a pie. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Go out there, you think? Into her backyard? No way. You glance out the window. It's probably 90 degrees in the shade, but you shiver. Your grandmother's house is right in front of an old cemetery. Cool. Rows and rows of old, crumbling tombstones sit just beyond the edge of her backyard. You're not like me as a child, but that's not what scares you. What scares you is that the tombstones have been moving. Yeah, well, that's also accurate to, I guess we must be in New England mm-hmm. then, because the tombstones got moved around for aesthetic purposes. Uh-huh. Go on to page two. And to disturb the dead, presumably. You noticed it right after you arrived yesterday. You saw the tombstones from your bedroom window on the second floor. You could tell some of the graves had cool carvings on them, so you decided to go outside and take a closer look. But when you entered the graveyard, something was different. Strange. Some of the graves were out of place. 
nah. have a good memory to remember where they were in the first place. <laughs> no, right? Nah, you can't be, you told yourself. Graves don't disappear. But still, from your bedroom window, you could have sworn there were six or seven graves in the back row. Now there were only three. Nah, you must have counted wrong. You decided to forget it and went to bed. But then when you woke up this morning and glanced out the window, the, clo- the coffins had moved again. Now there were ten in the back row, and the middle row seemed more crowded. It almost looked as if some of the graves were moving forward and some of the graves were moving backward. And there was a big traffic jam in the center. <laughs> this sounds like you're setting up a puzzle where you have to, you know, get the yeah. one tile out. I feel like I'm also, you know, really being called out for my lack of faith in what this book was about. It, from page one, it is explicitly about creeping coffins. Mm-hmm. Well, creeping tombstones. Uh, well, if you want to get pedantic about it. But... Unless they're connected. Anyway, go on. The coffins were rearranging themselves. But how? And Why? Again, I think it's a leap to think the coffins are moving just because the gravestones are. Go on, page three. Yes, but I've spoken like someone who is who has lived in New England. Yes. Your grandmother taps you on the shoulder. She snaps you out of your daydream. Go on, she says. Go play outside. I think she's as sick of you as you are of her. Outside? Out there? You're me. You <laughs> shudder as you glance out the kitchen window again. Oh, no, you cried. It disappeared. What's disappeared, your grandmother asks. <laughs> She's so, she, like, your, your rendition of her is so over it. <laughs> I'm, I'm give, just give my interpretation of what's on the page. The grave with the angel on it, you screech, pointing out the window. It's gone. Sorry, <laughs> it's gone. I don't know how to screech. It's gone. There you go. You're welcome, Goosebunks. Mm-hmm. One headstone in particular caught your eye yesterday. It had an angel carving on it. The angel looked so realistic, you practically believed she could fly away. So when it says a realistic-looking angel, it means it's got, like, eight heads and, like, flames for arms and wheels and... Presumably. Wheels? Yeah, you know, like in the Bible. <laughs> There's wheels on angels in the Bible? I don't know. Seraphim <laughs> are fucking crazy-looking. They, I'll tell you this. No angels in the Bible look like just pretty babies. <laughs> With wings. Your grandmother peers out the kitchen window. Don't be a goose. That tombstone is still there. You don't answer her. You don't can't. be a goose. A goose. Ah? Uh? Yeah. Your heart is pounding crazily and your mouth has gone dry. You bolt out the back door. You've got to see for yourself. But in the graveyard, you discover that your grandmother is right. The tombstone with the angel isn't gone. It's just moved. It had been in the last row. Now it's up front. I'm losing my mind, you think. <laughs> losing it completely. Or are you? Find out on page four. You run back to the house shouting, Grandma, you yell, the grave with the angel on it. Grandma interrupts you. You don't have to shout, dear. The angel, she looks up from her pie crust. That's a nice one. Let me see. Who's buried there? Oh, yeah, that's Elmira Martin's grave. Before you can explain about the moving gravestones, a voice on the far side of the room makes you jump. The name is Elvira Martin, the voice says sharply. Elvira. Famous queer icon. Yeah. Not Elmira. You never could get my name right. Your mouth drops open. A strange woman now stands in the doorway that leads from the kitchen to the hall. Do you think it's Grandma's ex? I hope so. A very strange woman. But she isn't a living, breathing woman. She's a ghost! This is really taking off quickly. I also uh, don't know what to believe at all. Yeah. Uh, Grandma? You begin? But from the way your granny is humming to herself, you can tell she doesn't hear or see the scary visitor. So this is a story of my, like, lo- gradual loss of sanity. Or Grandma is really good at the cold shoulder. <laughs> and don't you stare at me, you little wretch, the ghost says, pointing at you, or you'll be sorry. What are you going to do? Suddenly you're living in a haunted house. If you run outside, turn to page 18. If you talk to the ghost, turn to page 25. I'm going to talk to the ghost. She sounds hot. Well, we've all all got our priorities. (laughs) Why are you here? You ask the ghost. But your grandmother thinks you're talking to her. You know why I'm here, your grandmother answers. I live here. Don't be such a goose. For some reason, your grandmother can't see Elvira. 
you've always wanted to have a special skill, but ghost spotting wasn't what you had in mind. (laughs) It kind of was what I had in mind when I was this age. (laughs) It makes me wonder what your other, like, non-special skills are. It's like math? Reading? Uh, I think those are also special skills. Yeah. I think all skills are special. (laughs) So you have no skills then? Just ghost spotting? You try to think of a way to ask Elvira a question without having your grandmother think you're completely crazy, but you can't. So you keep staring at the ghost. She glares at you a moment, then motions for you to follow her. You watch as she floats into the hall and up the stairs toward your room. Follow a ghost, you think? Are you nuts? Just the idea gives you the chill. If you follow the ghost, go to page 49. If you race out this house fast and go home, turn to page 30. Go home? Like, back to my empty parents' house? (laughs) Sounds like it. I wonder if they're actually just at home and didn't want me around there taking a staycation. Like, yeah, we are on vacation. Um, so I'm going to follow the ghost. I want to see where this is going. I feel like page 30 will only redirect you back to page 49. It's. I feel like the book's really trying to get me outside. But I want to... What a fucking scam. I want to last night in Soho this and see who died in my room. Do you think that I am reading a Goosebumps book because I like to go outside? No. <laughs> You follow Elvira to your room on the second floor. The moment you step into the bedroom, she slams the door. Then she whirls around to face you. Her eyes turn green and begin to glow. You back up, stumbling and falling onto the bed. You little wretch, she says. I don't want any trouble from you. Sparks seem to fly from her flashing green eyes. You shrink back into the pillows. Then Elvira gazes around the room. Yes, yes, she says. This will do nicely. What do you mean, you stammer? Elvira floats toward the bed. She hovers over you. I'm taking over this room now, she says. Get out. Okay, why did you invite me up here then? Yeah, just put your own posters on the wall. Also, why does she need a room? Also, it's not actually your room. Like, you don't live here. You would love to leave, but you're shaking too hard to get up. Besides, you have to find out what's going on. Elvira is the only one who can explain it to you. Please, you beg, just tell me why you're here and why are the graves moving? Shut up, she screeches, and get off that bed. I want to lie down. I haven't slept in a bed in 51 years. So I guess you don't sleep in a coffin, huh? I guess not. You just claw at it for eternity. Mm. I don't know. I'm getting graveyard ghouls Same. energy from this. Uh-oh, you realize. You aren't just dealing with a ghost here. You're dealing with a ghost in a very bad mood. <laughs> Unlike you. Right. Yeah, game recognized game. You better do what she says on page 72. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, that's not a choice. No, it Here is not. It is very much not a choice. You jump up from the bed. Elvira lies down, neatly spreading her white satin dress on the covers. Where is this going? I don't know. Her long red hair fans out across the pillow. What is Arlstein writing? Ah, she says, a real bed. She shuts her eyes. Ooh, did you see that Arlstein's writing a horror comic for adults, by the way? No! It comes out in September. What's it about? I don't know. I just saw that he's doing it. When when you say for adults, that sort of gives me flashbacks to superstition. It makes me wonder if there's going to be sexy stuff in it. Well, yeah, that's what this was making me think of. <laughs> it's like un, un, uh, a deleted scene from Superstitious. Okay, so Elvira, red silky hair, flashing green eyes, and a white satin dress laying on the bed. Where is this going now? You hope she doesn't sleep too long. You have so many questions to ask. And you hope she'll be in a better mood when she wakes up. Okay. She's just taking a nap. She dozes for exactly two minutes. Then her eyes pop open. You notice they aren't glowing green anymore. So I guess you're just standing there watching her like a creep. I feel like there's some weird physics here, too. Like in uh, Twilight, where their eyes change color when they're, like, pissy. Mm-hmm. Sounds like that's her deal. Ah, Elvira says, that's better. Now that she's awake, you're not sure how to begin. You're almost too freaked out to speak. But you have to know... Why are the graves moving? What's going on? Yeah. That is the one question this book has posed so far. Yeah. Aside from like, who are you? Why are you in my bed? <laughs> all these things. 
It's the curse of the creeping coffins, the ghostly woman answers. And we're moving into this house. All of us. Wow. All of us? Gulp. What does that mean? Rush to page 106. Cool. Is this story going to be about a kid from the suburbs who believes in home, home ownership dealing with a co-op of hippies? <laughs> it seems like it might be going in that direction. What, what do you mean, all of you? You managed to stammer. You asked too many questions. Uh-oh, Elvira's eyes flash green again. Don't get in our way and maybe we'll let you live. She soars up over your head and glares down at you. And don't you go talking to that ghost hunter McFarling either. Oh, cool. In the next instant, she floats backward and disappears into the wall. McFarling, a ghost hunter? You are startled by loud clumping footsteps above you. You glance up at the ceiling. The light fixture is shaking. It sounds as if a whole crowd were wearing clunky boots and stomping around in the attic. Who could it be? Uh, Grandma? Uh, if you want to find out about McFarling, turn to page 16. If you want to find out who's in the attic, turn to page 85. It's a weird set of questions. It is, yeah. Because it's not really making a choice of what I'm going to do. Yeah, it is a what-do-you-want question. Well, I'm really interested in McFarling. Okay, page 16. I want to know their gender. Because I feel like Arl Stein might do a, like, it's a lady ghost hunter? Huh? <laughs> a ghost hunter? That is exactly what you need. But how are you going to find this McFarling guy? Sorry. No, I think it's oh, going to be the twist. Yeah. You dash out of your room and run downstairs. And uh, you rush back into the kitchen. Grandma, you gasp, almost out of breath. Do you know someone named McFarling? Okay, so Grandma, from her perspective, she is baking a pie. You are talking about how bored you are. You are insisting that the graves move. You run out of the room. And then a few minutes later, you come back in asking about someone named McFarling. She must be like, this is going to be the longest fucking vacation. Also, I asked her why she was there. <laughs> That's right. Um, so my theory is that this is all of Grandma's exes. I think this is just One Night in Soho. Spoiler alert. And Grandma is whatever that character Anya Taylor-Joy? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Grandma. Oh, yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. And then also the older lady whose name yeah. I should know who's from Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. That one. Yeah. To her credit, Grandma just rolls with it. Oh, don't go talking to me about about Mac McFarling, she says. That loon. He came around ah, here last month. He. Mm-hmm. I was really that hoping... Was the, the twist is that there was no twist. I was hoping Mac was short for Mackenzie or something. Well, McFarling is also the name. So oh, yeah. it's Mac McFarling. No, I mean, there was a split oh, second of yeah. hope I had there between when you said the name and then when you said the pronoun. Gotcha. Although I guess you don't know someone's gender from their pronouns. There you go. Told me he thought my house would be haunted soon. Said something about a curse, too. Can you imagine that? I don't want you going anywhere near that man. I feel like this is a real estate scheme. Like, oh, your house is going to be haunted soon. Better sell it. (laughs) Mac is in cahoots with uh, Compton Dawes. Yeah. So, just an aside. I'm rewriting this story in my head to make it more interesting. And in my version, Mac is a trans person who is non-binary and uses he, him pronouns and is a ghost hunter. And you are Lindsay Lohan in a bad wig. Yes. Cool. Okay, now that we have that established... Uh, let's face it, Granny's not going to be much help. That wasn't helpful at all. Yeah, she's been the only helpful person so far. She's making a pie and giving you information. So you race into the hall where she keeps her telephone books. You flip through the yellow pages. On a hunch, <gasps> you look up ghosts. Wow, I wonder what does come up when you look up ghosts in the yellow pages. You know, as a child of the 90s, I feel like this was a major missed opportunity for me. I never looked up ghosts in the yellow pages. Were you ever so bored that you looked through the yellow pages? Yeah, of course. Me too. God. <laughs> That's what they're there for. This is why I'm like, screen time, not that bad. Better <laughs> than being so bored, you're just sitting at the counter looking at the phone book. 
Um, I saw a TikTok once that was this girl who was like talking about this like scary story. It's like, and then there's this book and it just has your name in it. It has everyone's name in it <laughs> and their numbers. Yeah. I mean, it was creepy that people could just call you. Yeah. I guess that's why millennials never answer the phone. Uh-huh. Bingo. There he is under ghost exterminations. I want to know what all of the other ghost categories were, but yeah. alas. I feel like ghost exterminations is like... Probably should be legislated. I also feel like there's probably right next to it, like, ghosts, comma, humane trapping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mac McFarling, ghost hunter. There may be hope after all, as long as you can get out of the house before Elvira finds out what you're doing. <laughs> Shh. Tiptoe out the door on page 33. Okay. You have to stop racing and dashing. Yeah, those aren't quiet activities. Luckily, everything in your grandma's small town is within biking distance. 20 minutes later, you've biked over to Mac McFarling's office, which happens to be located in his garage. That that tracks. You knock <laughs> Just on the, like Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah. You knock on the side door of the garage. Come in, a voice calls. You yank open the door. Wow, you think when you see him. Mac McFarling is, has frizzy blonde hair sticking out all over his head. He's wearing <laughs> six earrings, a nose ring, and a pair of ha- heavy black frame glasses with blue lenses in them. Okay, definitely queer. Definitely yeah. queer. You called it. What you a hottie. So that's why your grandma didn't like him. He's uh, cool. Yeah, quote unquote didn't like. Uh-huh. What's up? McFarling asks, you know, like cool kids say. Yeah. You look just like you've seen a ghost. He laughs. Sorry, just a little ghost hunting humor. Okay, but he's also like got R.L. Stein humor, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a 20-year-old with a sense of humor of a dad. Which I assume is what R.L. Stein was always like. Yeah. He's an eight-year-old with a sense of humor of a dad. It's not not what I was like. <laughs> you explain about Elvira and that she told you the ghosts are going to take over your grandmother's house. I've been expecting this, McFarling says, shaking his head. I tried to warn your grandmother. Can you help us, you plead? His eyes are hidden behind his blue lenses. You can't tell what he's thinking. Will McFarling help you? I have a guess what he's thinking. He's thinking, does this kid know more than the kids in Revenge R Us about how money is exchanged for services? (laughs) Yeah. He's also wondering, does this kid know where the deed to the house is? Yeah. Find out on page 37. Suddenly, McFarling swings into gear. He picks up a strange electronic box and heads for the door. Come on, he says, we've got to hurry. Let's go. <laughs> Finally, someone who can help you. You feel better already because you're so fucking unappreciative about pie. <laughs> McFarling jumps into his car, an old VW bug. You hop on your bike. Oh, he doesn't even give you a ride. <laughs> As you ride to your grandmother's house, he drives along beside you. He rolls down the window and talks to you the whole time. Is he driving really slow or I'm biking really fast? I think probably both. Have the gravestones been moving around? He asks. Yes, you exclaim. So you're not crazy. Not if this guy thinks so. Yeah. Why are they doing that? I'm not sure, he says. I've seen it only once before. I think they're moving into position to spell out some kind of message or curse. Like they're going to literally spell it out. Like, like LOL is yeah. what they're spelling. Graves can spell? That doesn't sound possible. But you're ready to believe anything now. How that seems we... accurate. It yeah. does. How can we stop then, you ask Mac. It won't be easy, he tells you. You were afraid of that. This is really cool. This is like a very action-packed book. I'm loving uh-huh. it so far. Great characters. I'm really distracting us from the fact that you've had like two choices. Uh-huh. Uh, turn to page 45. First, you'll have to fight the Keeper of the Sword. What? That's one of the ghosts. You need to get the special sword and to use it to stop the MPG. Miles per gallon. What's the MPG, you ask? The most powerful ghost, oh. McFarling says. It's a term for the spirit who has control over a graveyard. I think you're going LARPing with McFarling. This is the thing. I'm like, oh, this is turning into, what was that book we read with the dragons and stuff? Oh, be, the deadliest be afraid, be very game. Yeah. <laughs> the deadliest game. Be the most dangerous game. That yeah. would be some book. 
be afraid, be very afraid. That's what this is turning mm-hmm. into. Although I guess we are like hunting man, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to kill dead people. We haven't said anything about killing them yet. Sounds That's where like you it. went. Okay. That's a you problem. Exterminate? What <laughs> else does that mean? Once you have the sword, Matt continues, you must plunge it into the grave of the MPG. But you've got to hurry, because when all the graves have moved in position and spell out the message, it'll be too late. The curse will be complete. After that, you'll never be able to get the ghosts back into their graves. As a side note, I'm just thinking about the SNL skit now, where it's like it spells out suck at Trebek. <laughs> well, what it's that, and then also it's making me think of, you know, all the cases where a bunch of, um, say, enslaved people's graves were uprooted and moved so that someone could put up, you know, a cool museum or something. A condo, yeah. A condo, yeah. exactly. I feel like this is, as so many ghost stories are, a bit of folk horror that's about, let's, uh, Wipe out the traces of who was here before so we mm-hmm. can act like, you know, Grandma's house was always here. It was settler colonialism the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, so if they spell the message, you'll never be able to get the ghosts back into their graves. Um, really? Yeah. If they s- succeed in figuring out how to solve that little annoying tile game to spell out what they're trying to spell. Yeah, I if they solve Wordle before you, <laughs> then you'll never get rid of them. Okay. Your head is spinning from Mac Mac just told you, but you nod as if you understood. (laughs) You've arrived at your grandmother's house. McFarling stops his car and hops out. You get off your bike and park it. I don't see anything about locking it, but at least you didn't throw it on the lawn. Yeah. McFarling faces your grandmother's house and switches on the funky electronic box he's carrying. I'm just imagining a boombox. (laughs) (laughs) I just figured it's something from Spencer's Gifts. Yeah. That you, like, turn on when you're high. Red dials light up. Then you hear a loud beeping sound. Uh Uh-oh, McFarling says. Major trouble. Give me a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> if you give McFarling a dollar, turn to page 57. If you refuse him money, turn to page 74. So do you understand the concept of exchanging money for goods and services? I actually do. That's one of the, you know, it's a concept that's important to me. Here's your dollar, sir. For I would like to pay you for your labor. All right. For 57. You reluctantly hand McFarling a dollar bill, you cheapskate. <laughs> he folds the dollar in half twice. Then he jams it into a tiny slot of his electronic box. A minute later, the beeping stops. The bo- the box spits the dollar back out. Thanks, McFarling says. The spirit counter was jammed. He gives the dollar back to you. So I bet there was a lesson in there about not being a cheap a cheap bastard. Yeah, it's like a reverse vending machine. Like, yeah. you're like oh, I put the dollar in to make it stop being jammed. <laughs> Kids today won't know what we mean because vending machines take credit cards now. Oh yeah, that's true. Which I never like want to do. No. I'm always like, well, I'm not going to use a credit card to buy my Diet Coke. Yeah, but it's nice to not have to, like, iron your dollar bill before you put it in there. I like the challenge. (laughs) Bad news, kid, McFarling says finally. By my count, there are ten ghosts in the house already. That's way over my limit. You're on your own. Oh, what an ass. Wow. Maybe if you give him nine more dollars, it'll be fine. It could be be an ass or it could be a real statement of faith in me. Like, it's over his limit, but apparently not mine. He starts back towards his car. Wait, you call after him? You can't leave me here. Please, you have to help me. He hesitates for a minute. Then he shrugs. Okay, this is what I'm willing to do. I'll help you make a map of the graveyard. Come on. Wow, that's not very useful when they're moving all the time. (laughs) No, right? A map of the graveyard? What for, you wonder? But you don't ask questions. You just follow Mac into the cemetery and do what he tells you. An hour later, you've got a drawing of the first four rows of gravestones. (laughs) It took an hour? Yeah. Oh, oh. You know what's cool? Huh. This picture. Oh, that is This is our first visual aid. Do you think that these names are taken directly from uh, 
Oh, no, definitely not. I was going to say from uh, R.L. Stein's kids' uh, classroom. So what I'm looking at is there's a bunch of, like, really cool graves, and then there's this wrought iron fence around it. There's a sign – there's a, a, a arrow pointing to Grandma's house. There's bats and a moon in the sky. This is why it took an hour. Some creepy trees. No, that still wouldn't take an hour. <laughs> we got Rachel Young, Thomas Owen, Patrick Unger, Ben Wong, Elizabeth Ives, John Luckmeyer, Jane Luckmeyer. Mary Dawson, Gregory Ives, Archibald Swope, Nancy Ottoman, Chester Ottoman, and Robert North. Okay. And there's Wait, a- wait, wait. Can I look at that? Yeah. And then there's an arrow. Um- you will die soon, is what it says. Oh, because someone circled all of the... Na- all of the oh, um- I didn't even see that. Yeah, somebody has circled in pencil the beginning of all of the last names. So, yeah, the, be- the first letter out, of all yeah. the last names. Well, I just, the soon is what jumped out yeah. at me. So it says, you will die soon, but there's an E missing. So it, I guess it's like, lady you die? Will, you will die soon. Yeah, you'll be, oh, oh, oh. I don't know where this is going now. <laughs> I thought we were in a, a different um, biopic. Do you want to take a picture of this or anything before I turn to page 65? I think that's cheating, Alyssa. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to use my mind. Well, I think I already solved it also. That's true. I'm just saying, if you had the book, you could always turn back to it for it reference. It sounds like whoever's name ends with E. Elvira? What was oh, wait, her no, last name? last name. What was her last name? I don't remember. It might have been an E. I think it started with an M. You might be thinking of Mac. You will dim soon. You will dig soon. <laughs> you stare down at the map of gravestones in your hands. You wonder how it could possibly help. Big trouble, Max says, peering over your shoulder. The message is already almost complete. What message, you ask, puzzled? Look at these first four rows, he said, pointing at the paper. The rest of the graves don't matter. That's why I didn't put them on the map. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Take a pen and circle the first letter of the last name on each tombstone. Oh. It spells out a message. Don't well, you see it? that really, like, takes the challenge out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> no, you don't see. And you won't see until you do it. So you do. Uh, I saw it without circling yeah. as a 35-year-old reading a children's book. I mean, to be fair, they were circled, but okay. I didn't see that. You know, maybe. Turn to the map on page 127, blah, 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 it tells you to do it. So when you've done discovered the message, turn to page 91. Also, he could have just done that. You didn't, he didn't no, have why did an hour drawing to... a map. I feel like <laughs> someone put in this really cool device and then someone at Scholastic was like, kids aren't smart enough for this yeah. and then made them redo it. Probably. Add in some, like, giveaways. So, Goosepunk, we will post this picture, though, because it's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I want a tattoo of the whole thing. Also, if you're an artist, would this take you an hour? We want to know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm underselling how hard it is to draw this. I think that you're not. <laughs> uh, oh, no, you gasp. You stare at the map soon, and the message spell- and the message spelled out on the gravestones. You will D soon. Yeah, D-I, right? Yeah. Like, no. D isn't a note. I was going to say do, re, mi, fa, so, do, do, but that's, it's not. <laughs> it's like T. Yeah. And do. Oh, shit. Is Uh-oh. this going to be at Heaven's Gate? Oh, fuck. Because for those, you know, I mean, I assume you all are very familiar with the many nicknames of the cult leaders of Heaven's Gate, but just as a refresher, <laughs> T and Do were one of the names that Bo and Pete, a.k.a. Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie, whatever the Nettles. fuck, Nettles went by. Nettles, really? Yeah. <laughs> huh. So that's the terrible message the graves are moving around to spell. And is the U... You? That's a good question. Or I mean, is that's it a general the- you? Is it a y'all? You know, <laughs> like this is one of the, I'm glad that this book is bringing up some of the ambiguities in the English language. Yeah, it's basically Roland Bart. Or is the curse directed at your grandma? Either way, it's super bad news. I mean, <laughs> is it though? I mean, it's not really news if you think about it. Yeah. I guess the soon is the part that's news. 
I guess so. It depends what you mean by soon. This is all very relative. But it is, again, just like that little head with the wings on it was accurate to those uh, 17th century gravestones. Mm-hmm. So is, you know, remember you will die, right? Mm-hmm. As the messaging. Map, you say, there's only one letter missing. Only one more coffin has to creep into place and then... Then the curse will be complete, Max says. He turns and walks back to his car. Wait, you call after him? He stops, but only long enough to pull out a business card. Here, he says, call me defeat after you defeat the Keeper of the Sword. I'll tell you what to do next. <laughs> I'll take credit for it. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take payment then. I don't feel like the Keeper of the Sword is... Like, I think I just need to go get the one gravestone that has a last name that starts with E. And then, like, Sit just on remove it. it. Yeah. <laughs> then he jumps back into his VW bug, leaving you standing in front of your grandmother's house. Oh, he calls as he starts to drive off. Two things to remember. Be sure to find out the name of the Keeper keeper of the Sword and stay away from the Luckmeyer twins. The Luckmeyer twins, you think? Hmm. If you've met them already, turn to page eight. If you haven't met them, go to 64. That must have been if I took a different route. Yes. I haven't met them. Keep away from the Luckmeyer twins. That should be easy, no problem. Twins are pretty easy to spot. <laughs> then it hits you. Do they always stick together? Are they guys or are they girls? And how old are they? No uh, way to know. It makes it harder to spot twins. I mean, the grave, see them together. the gravestone would be, be actually a way to know. But yeah. If they're ghosts, probably just stay away from them anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe this will be more difficult than you thought. You slink into your grandmother's house. Um. So Goosebumps, we had to take a pause because a little baby has woken up. So we are going to be joined for the rest of the story by our assistant. Yeah. So, Chris intern. Yes. Enjoy her occasional commentary. <laughs> you feel creepy. No, knowing the place, this is your grandmother's house, is loaded with ghosts. How are you going to find the keeper of the sword? You don't have a clue. Your head swims as you wander up to the second floor. Bang! Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's actually bam, but a door bangs open, so bang! Yikes. It nearly hits you in the head. You jump back and peer into a hollow closet. Don't go in there, a voice behind you warns. You whirl around and see a ghost. What am I trying to do right now? Look for the keeper of the ghost swords. I guess so. You, you're kind of just wandering upstairs currently. Okay. A teenager from another time. He's dressed in an old-fashioned black velvet suit with a frilly white shirt. Ah. He's from the 90s, from the puffy <laughs> shirt episode of Seinfeld. His hair, uh, his hair is slicked back and combed neatly behind his ears. He's smiling, but it's a sneaky smile. There's should, a lot of creepy teen ghosts in the goose purse. Should you listen to him? If you stay out of the closet, turn to page 12. Uh, if you see what's in the closet, 26. What did he tell me to do? Don't go in there. I'm definitely going in there. All right. Andy going into the closet. You heard it here first. <laughs> You're going to trust a ghost? No way. Who knows if what he's got up is ruffled sleeve. If this ghost doesn't want you to see what's in the closet, you bet it's something that can help you unhaunt your grandmother's house. You peer into the dark closet. You don't see anything. You glance back at the ghost. He seems nervous. Good. So you walk right into the closet. Ah! There's nothing under your feet but air. You try desperately to grab a hold for something. Anything. But it's no use. You're falling down. Down into the darkness. See, your grandmother has turned this closet into a clothes chute. She opens the door and tosses her dirty laundry in it. Oh. The clothes fall straight down to the basement. That's where the washer is. And it's a two-story drop. Get the picture? I'm perfectly fine. Now, how would you like to be washed? Hot, or, hot water or cold? With or without bleach? Because it's time to clean up your act, kid. You're all washed up in the ghost hunting business. So is the implication that I died from going down the laundry chute? Yeah, I think chute? you, like, maybe broke your neck. Like, Oh, uh, my God. I mean, that's that's what I'm getting. Like in Pet Cemetery Or uh, the orphanage, yeah. Shit. Because I used to go down the laundry chute at my real grandma's house all the time. It was, was really it two fun. two stories or one? It was one. Yeah. And, like... 
I knew it was there. So I'd like climb into it. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to. And yeah. I'd like climb down. It was really, really fun. Yeah. Shimmy down. Oh, wow. So it's got a PSA too. Don't jump into laundry chutes or wander into closets without looking to see if there's a floor. That's such a mundane death. I really thought it was going to be like, oh, you've entered the void of space. Grandma's house is all fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, do you want to go back and make a different choice? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see what would have happened if I stayed out of the closet, which maybe, you know, there's also a lesson There's a here moral. About the guy with the frilly shirt and the good hair who has come out of the closet and encourages you to do the same. That's right. You should listen to him. You decide to trust this guy. He's a little weird looking, but he seems harmless, even if he is a ghost. I'm John, the boy says. You gotta get away from there. The closet is filled with horrible spirits. Oh, Wait. John Luckmeyer. Oh. John and Jane, right? Wasn't it? I think so. Shit. Uh-oh. Seems oh. really mixed messages about whether you should listen to them or not. And I had completely forgotten that one. I'm like, oh, twins, they will look the same. Not if they're fraternal. <laughs> yeah, the baby knows. <laughs> Quick, close the door and hide in the basement. You do as he says, slamming the closet door hard. Then you run down the stairs into the kitchen, then into the basement. I feel like there's a middle ground between not going to the closet and then listening to everything he says. <laughs> Why down here, you wonder, and as you look around the damp, grungy old basement beneath, beneath your grandmother's house. You've never liked this place. It's cold. It's dark. But even worse are the big, ugly crickets. They get in from the outside through the cracks in the basement oh walls. They hop all over the basement. This is my actual terror. Yeah, not really crickets, though, huh? Just like any bugs yeah. in the ba- in the in the uh, building. Yeah, you hate them. Uh, how come we have to hide down here? You ask. That's when you realize John isn't with you. John, you call. Bam! You whirl around and see the basement door slam shut, click, and lock. Oh no! The ghost has locked you in. Okay. I mean, if the crickets can get in, surely I can get out. I'm also thinking, like, both of those choices took you to the basement. Like, you didn't actually have to die on that one. For a series whose second book is called Stay Out of the Basement, I sure end up in a lot of basements. (laughs) They lose first. Help, you cry, let me out. This is not a dance. (laughs) You turn to see if there's another way out of the basement. I'm dying in a vat in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) Those disgusting crickets are hopping everywhere. There must be hundreds of them. Chirping is enough to make you crazy. What of you thinking you're going crazy in this book? I mean, thinking. Yeah. They hop from the windowsills. They jump up and down the stairs. They pounce up from the sink to the floor. From floor to chair. Jump, jump, jump. <laughs> Ack! One lands on your head. Yuck, you scream. You swipe at your head. Get off me. More greenish-brown crickets hop around your feet. You this bang- is such a specific, weird threat. Like yeah. I feel like the writer must have just been gardening. and was yeah. like, ugh, crickets. You bang on the basement door. Let me out of here. <laughs> you hear John snickering on the other side. What a creep, you think. And then it dawns it John's on you. It dawns on you. <laughs> hey, John, you call through the door. What's your last name? Luckmeyer, the ghost answers. Figures. Mac McFarling was right. Well, you know, he's been, like, trapped in the grave having worms, you know, uh, play pinochle on his snout yeah. and all of that. So I feel like he's just showing you what it feels like. But again, not listening to him led to your death. So. It's true. Maybe Mac doesn't know what's good for good for me. Uh-oh. John Luckmeyer mumbles on the other side of the basement door. Here comes trouble. What now? You already have enough trouble in the form of a teenage ghoul. Turn to page 68. Ick. Another cricket plops onto your head. Let me out, you yell again. Immediately the door swings open. Uh-oh. The ghost was right. Trouble has arrived in a big way. Is it Jane Luckmeyer? It's your grandma. And she's steaming mad. Because I'm messing up her crickets. I don't know. Messing her cricket farm up. What in heaven's name are you up to, she scolds. It's not much of a scolding. Come on. (laughs) 
You glance past her into the kitchen and see what she means. The whole place is a mess. Flour is scattered all over the floor. Pots and pans are stacked up on the chairs and table. Uh. Every single item in the refrigerator is sitting on the kitchen counter. What on earth have you done? She demands, pointing at the huge mess. Behind her back, you see the ghostly John Luckmire with a big grin plastered across his smirking face. Quick, what are you going to tell her? I think that this is one of the most stressful plot points that recurs in the Goose Goosevers is getting blamed for someone else's mess. Yeah. Um, although, I also always like how these, you know, make possible the reading that the kid actually is doing it and just doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. And is, like, projecting it onto a ghost. Yeah. I also like the reading that Grandma can see, can absolutely see all of these ghosts and is just fucking with this kid. <laughs> yeah. So if you decide to make up a story, turn to 71. If you tell the truth, 112. I'll tell the truth. See where that gets you. Just laziness, really. Yeah, storytelling's hard. Uh-huh. You decide <laughs> You decide to tell your grandmother the truth. Wait a minute. Are you kidding? You're going to tell your grandmother that her house is haunted? Yes. That the big mess in the kitchen was a ghoulish prank? <gasps> Don't take away my agency. You're really going to tell her all that? Oh, Really? Well, just try it. Go tell your parents or your grandparents the same story. See if they believe you. Is this book making fun of me? It is. When they get done laughing, you can start reading again on page 71. And try to learn a little lesson from this. You should always try to tell the truth. But sometimes the truth is too unbelievable to tell. Like anytime ghosts are involved. That's when you have to be a little creative. What the fuck lesson is that? What kind of fucking messaging is that? No one will believe you. Uh, I was trying to make dinner for you, Grandma, you say. If you told the truth, you'd think you were lying. Then you'd be in an even bigger trouble. Well, her face begins to soften. Then John Luckmeyer floats over to you. Before you realize what he's doing, he picks up one of your grandmother's best china teacups. He knocks it to the floor right by your hand. The teacup lands with a loud crash. Oh no. You start to open your mouth to explain, but then another ghost appears on the other side of you. This one's a girl. She's wearing an old-fashioned long white linen dress. Her hair is braided and the braids are wrapped up around her head three times. Hello, she says with a snicker. I'm Jane Luckmeyer. Great, you think. Another one. Trapped between the two Luckmeyer twins. She picks up the china saucer that goes to the teacup John just smashed. Then she tosses it like a frisbee across the room. Somehow she makes it look as if you threw it. The saucer crash lands at your grandmother's feet. That's it, your grandmother says. Go to your room. Turn to page 124. It sounds like I just did it. It does sound that way. But that's you giving into the Luckmeyer twins. So now I have to go back to Elvira. You hurry into the hall and start up the stairs towards your room. But something stops you. A terrible chill in the air. A cold so cold you feel it will freeze your blood and your bones. An instant later, 13 howling ghosts appear. Oh, just like in the movie. Mm -hmm. 13 ghosts. They float out of the walls and come toward you. They're all shapes and sizes, but they have one thing in common. They're all terrifying. No, you want to cry? This can't be happening. I mean, that movie was totally scary. Like, when there was the one that was the torso, and it was just (laughs) a torso, but somehow terrifying. Your knees shake so much you almost fall down. I've only seen it once, and I don't really remember it very well. There was one that was just a torso wrapped in saran wrap, like, flopping across the floor. (laughs) But somehow you manage to run. Ghostly arms reach for you as you race out the front door, into the front yard where the sky is growing dark. For the next ten minutes or so, you huddle under a big tree trying to think. (laughs) For ten minutes? Yeah. Mostly you just think one thing. Get me out of here. Poor me. I'm really having a panic attack. Mm -hmm. But you know you can't go home. Your parents are away on vacation. Besides, you can't leave your grandmother here all alone, not with all those creeping coffins. It sounds like if I had tried to go home, they would have taken away that choice, too, then. Yeah, I also feel like she kind of can take care of herself. Yeah, you don't need grandma to... Yeah, she's lived here this long. Which means you've got to go back to the house, you've got to get rid of these ghosts, and you've got to find the keeper of the sword before it's too late. Oh, there's too many steps. (laughs) 
Using the back door, you slip quietly into the house. Then you sneak up the back staircase to the second floor. You peek around the corner carefully. You don't want to run into the Luckmires. When you're sure the coast is clear, you start up the stairs towards the attic. As soon as you step into the stairway, you see a huge soldier standing at the top of the third floor landing. It's a really big house. His uniform is old-fashioned. Civil War, you guess. And judging from the medals pinned to his gray jacket, this guy knows what he's doing. Gray jacket, so he's a confederate. Oh. And what he's doing right now is pulling a sword from its holder. The sword is about five feet long. The handle is mother of pearl encrusted with sapphires. The blade gleams. Even in the darkness, you can see that it's dangerously sharp. The enormous soldier points the sword at you. Do not advance one more step unless you are willing to die. Okay. Unfortunately, you don't have a choice. You have to go to 104. Wow. You can't take your eyes off the sword. The longer you stare at it, the more your legs shake. Then it dawns on you. The soldier must be the keeper of the sword. G- n- wow. Godoy, son. It's good, uh, good logic there. So what are you going to do, run and hide? Definitely. You so no choice that. again. Trembling in fear, you start to back up. That's when you feel a sharp point sticking you in the back, right between the shoulder blades. Ouch, you cry, turning around. Big trouble. Behind you is another ghost, and this one's dressed in a fencing costume. White canvas pants, a wire mesh mask, leather gloves. On guard, the new ghost says, the voice that goes all around you. From the voice, you know the ghost is a woman. Nice. I think she's the keeper of the sword. I assume the choice I have to make is which one's the keeper of the sword. Yes. I'm guessing the lady. Yeah, which one has the sword you need? The one with the... Oh, wait. I need their sword? Yeah, because don't you have to run it through the grave of the most valuable ghost? Oh, right. Huh. I mean, I think an épée would be better for running through a grave than a saber, which is, I assume, what the southern gentleman has. <laughs> Listen to you and your sword knowledge. It's my crossword puzzle knowledge. You decide to duel with the one... Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, you got a foot, huh? Yeah, it's a great foot. You decide to duel with the woman in the fencing costume. She's not as big as the soldier. <laughs> On guard yourself, you cry. You notice that as soon as you shouted at the woman, the soldier of ghosts vanished. The fencer glides towards you, approaching slowly. You feel around desperately for something you can use as a weapon. The whole time, you keep your eyes glued to the sharp tip of her sword. Or rather, her foil. That's what a fencing sword is called. One of the names. The fencer keeps coming toward you slowly. Slowly. Beads of sweat break out along your upper lip. The tip of the foil wavers slightly, as if the fencer were deciding on the perfect spot to stab you. Finally, your fingers grasp something leaning against the wall. An umbrella. It's not much, but it'll have to do. You grab it and strike a fencing pose, because that's apparently a thing you know how to do. (laughs) On guard, you shout again. The fencer freezes, her foil raised. Then in a flash, she lunges at you. Quick, find out if you're still alive on page 122. The tip of the blade slices right through your neck. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Good news, you're still alive. And you never felt a thing. You know why? The fencer is a ghost. She's not solid. She's airy. See-through. And so is her weapon. That doesn't make any sense. The ghosts have been touching things this whole time. They've I, been able to manipulate solid matter. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Um, well, maybe they can manipulate existing solid matter, but, like, their matter isn't solid. Huh. All right. It's a ghost sword. Don't think about it. Okay. When goosepunk scientists, including Michelle, get on their theorizations, they need to include how does how do goose ghosts interact with the material world. You pick up your umbrella and slice back. You lunge forward, poking your umbrella right between her ribs. But shouldn't that also not hurt her, then, if she's immaterial? But your umbrella has the same effect on her that her foil has on you. None. There's no point in keeping up this duel. Neither of you can win. Why would you do something if you can't win? (laughs) You put down your umbrella. Are you the keeper of the sword, you ask her? Yes. She reaches up and pulls off her mask. 
You gasp and your stomach turns over. She doesn't have a face because she doesn't have a head. She doesn't have a face or a head. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes, this is the sword you need, she tells you. You wonder where her voice is coming from. And I will give it to you if you can find my head. Is she kidding? I know. She's doing the headless thing. It's just down in her shirt. Yeah. Um, or, you know, she pulls the shirt up over her yeah, head. Yeah, she's going headless. Mm-hmm. Is she kidding? What are the chances? Maybe you should just try to grab the sword. Grab it, go to 21. If you look for her head, go to 62. Grab it. You try to grab at her sword, but you get a handful of nothing. The sword is no substance. It isn't solid. It's just air. The woman laughs. How can she do that without a head? My sword is nothing without me, she says mysteriously, and I am nothing without my head. If you want the sword, you must find my head. I wanted to choose not to. <laughs> I wanted this to end. Uh, you heard the woman. What are you, well, what are you waiting for? Go find your head. Now. Wow, this book is so bossy. It is. Turn to page 62. God. I feel like this book is like, do you want to use the blue bowl or the purple bowl to eat your dinner? But not you get the choice of whether you're having dinner or not. <laughs> okay, you tell her, I'll find your head. Wait here. But where should you look? You dash up the stairs to the attic, and it's the only room you haven't been in since you arrived. And you definitely would have noticed a head if you'd seen it. I kind of doubt that based on my track record so far, but sure. <laughs> also, her head could be anywhere. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in the house. You rummage around the attic a little. You search through everything. Twice. I kind of doubt that. Trunks of old clothes. Piles of old furniture. Golf clubs, no ghost head. Imagine having enough room for piles of old furniture in a room you don't use. I can't. <laughs> On the, like, fourth floor or third yeah. floor or whatever. You glance around the dusty room. Think! There may not be much time left. If I were a ghost head, where would I be? <laughs> Ask yourself. Probably attached to a ghost. You suddenly spot a large moose head sitting on the floor by a broken chair. You kneel down and examine the moth-eaten moose head. Up close, it looks even worse. The antlers are cracked and one eye is missing. It is filthy and has a musty odor. Am I just going to that, give that to her? It's not even human. But what choice do you have? It's the only head here. <laughs> Besides, you're in a big hurry. You've got to get the sword before the coffins creep again. You grab the moose head and race downstairs. You only hope the keeper of the sword won't be furious when she sees the head you brought her. Cross your fingers for luck and turn to page 80. I found the head, you call out when you reach the landing. You clutch the moose nervously. You peer into the darkness, trying to find the headless ghost. The woman's body materializes and steps on the steps below you. Good, her voice says. You still can't figure out how she can talk. Just set it down right there on the stairs. Really, you think? This is going to work? You think you can't believe it. Maybe the <laughs> ghost hasn't seen the moose head yet. What will she do when she discovers what you've done? Trembling, you set the moose head down on the bottom step. You hold your breath. For a moment, nothing happens. Then the moose head begins to shake. At first, it just rocks back and forth a little, but it starts to vibrate wildly. The moose head begins to glow as if there were a light inside. The ghostly woman's face appears inside of the moose head. You can't believe it. But there it is, the face of a beautiful young woman trapped within the dusty old head of a moose. Wow, you did it. You actually found her head. So I think this is a trophy from a serial killer who killed her and hid it yeah. inside the taxi Oh, that's head. fucked. And, I mean, it's Grandma's house. Mm-hmm. So maybe sure that's is. why all the ghosts are, like, kind of pissed at her and want her to die soon. Maybe they have a point. Do you think she has a graveyard in her yard because she's, like, Ed Kemper and just buried bodies in her yard? It kind of is starting to seem that way. Oh, my God. Um, what do you think was in that pie? Oh! Found a new way to dispose of the bodies. You stare at the glowing ghostly face. Your mouth drops open as the face rises out of the moose head. The woman's face floats up and hangs in midair right in front of you. Oh, the head says, you've released me from my trap. Her eyes are large and bright blue. Her trap in a moose head. Also, again, you didn't do anything. You didn't make a choice to grab the moose head or not. Whatever. 
Her ruby lips shimmer in the darkness. Her long black hair hangs down, falling below her neck. This book really wants me to be attracted to ghosts. Mm -hmm. Her neck? You glance at it and try not to scream. Torn flesh dangles from the bottom of her neck. Blood drips from the ragged edges. That's so rad. Suddenly you realize what you're seeing. It looks as if her head has been chopped off. Aren't we quick on the uptake? <laughs> Your stomach turns at the sight of her bloody neck. Then you notice the ghost ghost body is still hovering below you. It floats up the steps and somehow attaches to her head. Thank you, she says, when she's in one piece. She hands you her foil. I am the keeper of the sword. Take this and use it as you will. Now I must return to the grave. Well, that was easy. You remember McFarling's instructions. Wait, what's your name? Sarah, she whispers as her form fades away. Then she's gone. You run to the phone and dial McFarling's number. When he answers, you tell him you got the sword. Good, McFarling says. Listen carefully. Find her grave in the graveyard. Write down the year of her death. It's a special number. You'll need it. Then plunge her sword into the grave of the MPG. That's the only way to keep the graves from spelling out the curse. But how do I find the MPG, you ask? Oops, McFarling says. Got call waiting. Gotta go. <laughs> he hangs up. Call waiting, you think? What a liar. He just doesn't know how to help you find the MPG. Sounds accurate. Yeah, now what? If you go to the graveyard, turn to page 96. If you think the MPG will come to you, turn to page 125. Why would I think that? I don't know. Let's go to the graveyard. You race out to the graveyard. You've got to find the, fir- the fencing woman's grave. Fast. Then it hits you. You only know her first name. But that was on the map. Sarah. Sarah who? Were there two Sarahs? I don't remember. You find two Sarahs. One is Sarah Grayson, born in 1820, died in 1895. The other is Sarah McGinnis, born in 1918, died in 1940. Okay. Which one is the right Sarah? Could you repeat that again? So Sarah Grayson, born 1820, died 1895. The other okay, is so it's the second one. Sarah Ma- she wasn't 75. Yeah, Sarah McGinnis, born 1918, died 1940. Sarah McGinnis. Um, okay, so yes, yeah, so you write down the year of Sarah's death, and you hope you chose 1945. Correctly. 1940. Oh, 1940. Still a World War II story. 1895 and 1940, yeah. Have you written down the date of Sarah's death? Yes. Good, because something terrifying is happening behind you. You don't really want to keep your back turned, so put your pencil down and turn to page 114 if you dare. As though I had a pencil. (laughs) You just keep one on you, like most (laughs) 12-year-olds. You don't like the prickly feeling in the back of your neck. You turn around slowly and gasp. The coffins have moved again. You can tell because you've wandered to the front of the graveyard. You are standing by the first row, the row that spells out you in the curse. That row used to only have three tombstones, but now it is covered with graves. Seven of them. Four more coffins have creaked into place. does it still spell you, then? You glance towards the back of the graveyard and notice new empty spots. It's true. The tombstones are spelling again. Okay. Your heart pounds as you run along the row, reading four new names, trying to see what the new initials will spell out. Bannister, Oswald, Thackeray... Hamilton. You both will die you soon. Both will die. We both will die soon. Thackeray, like Binks. Mm-hmm. Like in Hocus Pocus. Yeah. So I don't understand why I'm wasting my time with all this other stuff when I should just find the E last name and break that tombstone. I don't know if it's like the the tombstone itself that is the issue. Okay. I don't know why you're not just stabbing all of the graves that start with E. Or maybe just all of the graves. I'm not sure. Yeah, to find the MPG. Your throat tightens in terror. Your heart pounds wildly. Both you and your grandmother are cursed now. Your granny can't even see the ghost, so she won't be able to save herself. It's all up to you. You grip the sword so hard your hand cramps. You've got to stop the coffins from moving again. And you've got to do it now before the final coffin moves into place and the curse is complete. But who is the most powerful ghost? (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) One more letter, you mutter. Only one more letter is needed. The 
the letter E. Then it hits you. The most powerful ghost must be someone whose last name starts with E. I have been fucking saying this. <laughs> oh. this. This me is so stupid. That's it. You may live after all. You run through the graveyard looking at the tombstone searching for E's. And you find three. Melvin Eastup. Okay. Melvin Eastup II. And Brandon Eastup. <laughs> so I don't think it was Brandon. Uh, no offense to any Brandons out there, but I don't think... Wait, which is a more powerful name, Melvin or Brandon? I don't associate either of those names with power, personally. <laughs> I'm not sure if E-step e or S-step, by the way. It's not spelled E-S-T-E-P? E-step, yeah. E-step. Yeah. Okay. Is that like an anagram, do you think? Po- possibly. Or pests? <laughs> yeah. E-step. Pete's. You could guess, or you could go to the house and ask Elvira for help. Oh, guess. Yeah, I don't know why she would help you. No, that's not she her wants game this at all. House. Why can't I just stab all three? Time is running out. The last coffin could creep into place before you even cross over to a grave. Then it will all be over for you and your grandmother. You're too terrified to think, so you decide to guess. Well, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and guess, which is the most powerful ghost? Melvin Estep, Melvin Estep II, or Brandon Estep? So my guess would be, so I guess Brandon is younger than both Melvins, and I think the oldest is probably the most powerful according to the logic of this book. So I would go with Melvin Estep or Estep. All right. 30. Although the baby does not think oldest is most powerful, it seems. I, I think she's right. <laughs> so let's go to 34. You run over to Melvin Estep's grave and plunge your sword into the ground. And Wait. Did you put an end to the curse of the creeping, creeping coffins? You step back from the grave, leaving the sword straight, leaving the sword standing straight from the dirt. Could it all really be over? Suddenly, one of the other two coffins, one of the other S-steps starts to move. Oh no, you chose the wrong one. It's so all over, all right? All over for you. Before your astonished eyes, the headstone creeps across the graveyard. Within seconds, it reaches the third row. When the headstone stopped creeping, the word die is complete. And so is your adventure in this book. Dang. Complete. Finished. Done. As in... The end. Wow. Well... One sec. But here's the real kicker. After the end, there's a P.S. Uh-huh. Here's a hint. Next time you try to defeat the Creeping Coffins, ask Elvira for help. Don't leave so much to chance. Wow. I mean... Okay. I feel like I could have been a little faster, though. Like, once that other coffin started moving, I could have run over and stabbed it, too. And also, why would you choose? Why would you trust Elvira? I don't know. Just because she's hot. My theory here's where I was caught up in the rock paper scissors of it all. I'm like, I think this book wants me to think the oldest would be the most powerful, and that Melvin would be the oldest. But it could be that the youngest is most powerful, which I assume would be Brandon. But then it could be a total mislead where it's like you would think one of those two things, which is why it's Melvin the second. So could you look and see which one was right? Yeah. So I um, I'm on the page where you go to Elvira. It is not the second. Mm-hmm. He's not the MPG. He's the MHG, the most horrible ghost. <laughs> I think that it's wrong to assume a children's book would want you to think that the oldest was the most powerful. I think they like to be like, kids are powerful. So Brandon. Let's see. You cross your fingers and decide to take a chance on Brandon Estep. You run over to the tombstone stand in front of it. You hold the sword in both hands like a dagger with the point down. You're about to plunge it into the ground, but something stops you. Find out on page 36. You hear the booming crack. In the next instant, the ghost of... Ghost of Brandon Estep rises out of his grave. Is he the MPG? Have you chosen the right Estep? 
You, he floats towards you. He's a young guy wearing a black leather motorcycle jacket with heavy metal spikes and chains and a metal hand. Nice. Metal hand. A chill of terror runs through you. This must be him. The most powerful ghost, the ghost of the iron hand. You raise the foil again, but the ghost lunges at you and grabs your arm with his iron hand. Your arm freezes. You can't move. For a moment, you panic. Then you remember what McFarling told you. The date of Sarah's death. It's magic somehow. Did you write down the name, the date, like McFarling told you? Yes. Well, no, but yeah, I guess I did. Okay. Find the date and add up all four digits in, in the year. 14. Okay. And that's the page we go to. Congratulations. You picked the right Sarah. Picked the right Sarah? Yeah. Sarah McGinnis. Remember there are two? Oh. <laughs> Born in 1918, died in 1940 at the age of 22. You knew she was the right one because the fencing ghost was a young beauty. <laughs> so she must have died young. The other Sarah in the graveyard lived to be 75 years old. Very clever of you to figure it out. Good job noticing chicks are hot. Yeah, it also seems like the book is strongly advising, like, die while you're still young. Yeah, don't you want to have a hot ghost? <laughs> so, in reality, I fell down a laundry chute and broke my neck and died as this 12-year-old goose kid, but with enough cheating, we got to a right answer in the end. Mm-hmm. This is what is flashing before your eyes as the life drains from your body. Yes, this is the Owl Creek Bridge uh, moment. Suddenly you hear her voice. It fills your ears. I am the keeper of the sword, she calls to you from her grave. Let my foil do the work. Let go. Let go. Weird, you think. But you do it. As the foil leaves your hand, it floats in midair. Then it plunges itself deeply into the earth. Into Brandon Estep's grave. Ah! The ghost cries. Uh, His shimmering body begins to fade and then disappears back into the earth. I don't understand why she would help you. Because you found her head. Oh, I guess so. So the coffins are creeping again, back to the original positions. The curse has been defeated, but there's only one problem. Brandon's ghostly body is gone, but his iron fist is still clutching your arm. Turn to page 86. Uh, so it's strangling you, and then we go to page 116. Uh, it's still strangling you. Still strangling you. There's a struggle. We go to 131. Clock tower going bong, bong, bong. <laughs> Strikes 12 times. Grandma says, why? That clock tower hasn't chimed in years. Not since Brandon Estep died. He crashed his motorcycle in this graveyard. Wild boy, but he loved that clock tower. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like it's like he's got to be related to the cuckoo clock dad somehow. I know, right? Unless like clock fetishes are just a thing in this world. Well, he helped his father build it. So everyone said that Brandon haunted this place and that's why the clock wouldn't chime. Of course, that's a load of nonsense. They tried to fix the clock a million times, but it never worked. I wonder why it started now. You're pretty sure you know the answer to that. Go to page 120. I'm still not sure why he's got a metal hand. Because he was badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess Brandon's ghost is finally at rest, you say. You gaze around and see that the tombstones are back where they belong. In fact, the whole graveyard looks kind of sleepy and peaceful. Oh, don't be a goose, your grandmother scolds. There are no ghosts. Uh, next, t- next you'll be telling me that the ghost of Elmira Martin is taking a nap in your room. Elvira? You'd forgotten about her for some reason. <laughs> but you figured out when the other ghosts returned to their graves, Elvira did too. Your grandmother yawns. Come on, it's way past both our bedtime. So you say goodnight, you go upstairs, you get into bed, watch it! A lump under the comforter slowly materializes. Elvira, don't hog the covers, she snaps. You've heard of bad roommates, but this is ridiculous. Well, you just have to get along. Because Elvira is here for an eternity. Your days of having your own room have come to an end. So is that the happy ending? That I, I end so. up with Elvira, I guess. But also, it's not, she's not your roommate forever because yeah, you don't live here. Yeah, I don't live at Grandma's house unless my parents aren't coming back. And Grandma has three fucking floors plus an attic. Like, I, I think, like, I can you find, can find somewhere a room. else to sleep. Yeah. I mean, there are crickets all in the, the bottom floor, but still. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, that book was really exciting at first, and then it kind of kept going and kept asking little, you to do stuff. It's a little bit our fault for, you know, keeping going, but, you know. I feel like the thing with the Give Yourself Goosebumps books is they ask you to do a lot more work than uh, than I might have wanted to do as a kid. I think as a kid, I would have been really excited to like be like, I won. And to be like, I'm not reading the phone book, I'm reading a Goosebumps book. Yeah. That was the tagline. Better than a phone book. Yeah. Well, Goosepunks, what did we miss? What exciting things were there? Did any of that make sense? Are these all grandma's serial killing victims? Yes. Tell uh, us more about her backstory. Fill us in. Yeah. You can write to us at saypodandie at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at saypodandie. And you can do the whole rate, review, and subscribe thing wherever it is you do those things. What are we reading next week? It's Christine. I'm sorry. It's The Haunted Car from the Series 2000 books. Definitely an R.L. Stein original. <laughs> All right. Listener beware. Those, those were, were the scares. scares. Good boo. Good boo. Good boo.